Lob it up to Rudy, put it down. Mitchell three. Yes! The rookie comes alive! Hello, Jazz Nation, and welcome to Hashtag Jazz. Uh, my name is Jason Walker, and alongside me, as always, is the lovable... Depressed Trey. Okay. Lovable but <laughs> depressed. Everyone felt really bad for me. Yeah, everyone around you, like your family and whatnot, or just, or just you're asking everyone to feel bad for you? No, I'm not asking. I'm just saying everyone like kind of felt bad for me for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess you know, all of us, you know, all of us jazz fans, we're, we're feeling kind of bummed out because, I mean, you know, last time we had the episode, lost game one, it was like, you know, kind of what we expected, you know, turn around, the Rockets are just simply a better team than the Jazz, all those sort of things, and then the Jazz went on and won game two, and it was just like, it felt like the absolute high point of the season. Um, you know, it surpassed just about anything we did with Oklahoma City, it just felt awesome because we were tied one-to-one with the best team in the Western Conference. It looked like maybe, you know, most expectations were that the Jazz were still going to lose this series, even among Jazz fans, but it felt like, you know, maybe we could push this series, do something with it. And again, like we talked about in our last episode, basically anything we did from that point was going to be, was going to be gravy on this, you know, big old meal that has been the second half of the season where the Jazz have so much surpassed expectations. Um, but now everything has come crashing down to earth. Um, so that's, I guess, the feeling that uh, I guess that's the way I'm seeing it. Trey, how, how are you seeing uh, these last this last week, basically, of Jazz basketball? Um, I, I mean... Yeah, you're you're going up against the best team in the NBA. There's there's a reason they're the best team in the NBA. Um, game one was a very good reminder of what that was. Um, game two, the Jazz, without a Ricky Rubio, were able to run their offense, and Donovan Mitchell was spectacular. And then game three was a rude awakening for everybody um, because it's a great reminder of how good Houston really can be when they are on top of their game. Um, and then tonight was just another one of those things. But the, the the thing that kills me, though, about this series is that in game one, there was no offense. Game two, there was some offense. It was still isolation. Like, this whole series is just, for some reason, without Ricky Rubio, and I get that Donovan Mitchell is taking over the point guard duties, and it totally changes the dynamic of what that offense is trying to do. But at the end of the day, this team has been thriving off of ball movement and getting good shots and executing on offense and defense. But for some reason, and I get that Houston is better defensively than we actually realize that they are, it shouldn't be dictated at all. We're still an NBA team. This team has come a long way throughout the entire year, and all of a sudden they just forgot what offense was. And I don't know if that's Quinn Snyder necessarily like saying we're going to run more isolation and just rely on pick and roll because at the end of the day, it just wasn't working. I, game game three was just like, wh- wh- what happened guys? You guys were riding a high. All of a sudden ball movement was stagnant at best. Donovan Mitchell was almost this close to doing a Ben Simmons. And 
it's just been, I mean, domination aside, Houston was getting a lot, a lot of love from the referees. I, I, I don't, when I watch the games, I always call out the referees for bad calls. I mean, it happens. It's what happens when you're a sports fan. But, man, I mean, first quarter, first half alone, I saw I don't know how many moving screens that they got away with. Um, James Harden, because he can't play defense, he just reaches in on people and gets away with it. And then he goes down on the other end of the court and literally manipulates every referee into calling a foul because he's just so good at selling a foul. Yeah, and that's obviously a very frustrating thing, and you know that's unfortunately that's what you got to deal with. There's James Harden who decides that he wants to be a Shakespearean actor as much as he wants to play basketball, and as much as we can hate him for it, that's the way the NBA works. Yeah, I don't really know what to say because I'm just as frustrated as you because every time I see him, you know, when he drives down the lane and he cocks his head back as if he's just gotten hit by a sledgehammer and he's right in his his big old beard, which sometimes I feel like he would deserve. And then, you know, they they get the call. And especially, you know, you got Dante Exum will be guarding him. And he'll move right in front of him, set his feet, get position. James Harden runs right into him, gets called for a block. Because it's James Harden, of course, he would never commit a charge. And yeah, it it blows my mind, man. Like, I mean, it's 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 kind of a plague of the NBA. I mean, it always has been to an extent, at least in the last, you know, 10, 12 years of the NBA. Um, because we're not back, we're not back in the day of John Stockton when it was interior power. It was how well can you take a hit and how well can you push back? I mean, there's still that, that still lingers in the NBA today, but I just, my goodness, it's, it's so bad that everyone tries to flop to get that call. I mean, the Jazz tried to do it, and they just—they're not used to trying to do it because they're not very good at it, you know. And like Rudy Gobert is suspect number one in my mind, man. He just tries to sell these fouls because and trying to be like, "Well, I'm lanky. I got pushed." There are times he gets pushed, but man, Click Capel has just been bullying him, and he's just kind of taking it. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talk about how this team does have a ways to go and these guys still need to learn. And that's one of the things that gets exposed in a series like this. When you have the Oklahoma City Thunder, we talked extensively how a guy like Russell Westbrook just hasn't simply matured. And you have guys like Paul George and Carmelo Anthony who don't necessarily have deep playoff experience and championship experience. Russell Westbrook's really the only player that has significant playoff experience, um, you know, outside of a couple years from Paul George. So they aren't necessarily going to be able to do a lot of these very veteran, um, you know, all these things. They aren't very well coached. Um, but with the Rockets, they're well coached. They have veteran guys. James Harden, obviously, we you know, we talked about his ability to draw fouls. Clint Capella has gone on a huge improvement, you know, facilitated by the fact that he is playing with James Harden and Chris Paul. He wouldn't be nearly as good if he wasn't playing with those guys. Um, Rudy Gobert would be like already a Hall of Famer if he was playing with guys like James Harden and Chris Paul, just because of you know, you know all all the different reasons. Clint Capella's just made better, and he's obviously been coached well, and he's obviously a talented player. And so I think with the Jazz, there's all these little things like you talked about, you know, not 
letting yourself get bullied. Sometimes you got to learn how to sell fouls. That's something that Donovan Mitchell, I feel like, is going to learn in the next few years. Um, and then all these different things. You're not moving away from what makes you an offense because you, you brought it up and hit it right on the head. The Jazz have gone away from who they are on offense, and whether it's the Houston defense or you know, Utah just forgetting who they are or Quinn Snyder, wherever the blame lies or how much it's spread out, you know, this is something that the Jazz will improve on. And I think it's it's actually a little encouraging to me that there is that kind of room for improvement because I felt that one of the flaws from last year's team was I felt that they'd kind of hit their peak. They wouldn't get much better than they were. And so when we kind of had to tear it apart a little bit, we see that we've got some pieces, and while they're good, there's room for improvement. And so while definitely this hurts, losing to Houston, you know, obviously the series isn't over. We're only down 3-1, but at best this game, this series is going to 6. So I think there are some things that the Jazz can learn, and assuming they learn these things, go into the off season, then they can improve on that. Maybe get to the second round again, maybe. Maybe even win a uh, series in the second round, make the conference finals. Who knows? But there is definitely, I think, a lot of things that we can learn from. No, and there absolutely is. I mean, we talked about how playoff um, experience would be so good for Donovan Mitchell specifically, but just for everyone again, because Rudy, I mean, he was in the playoffs last year with Gordon Hayward. He, you know, the Jazz actually got a win in the second round, whereas last year it was just, why did we even show up to the second round? Um, but, I mean, to go back a little bit, it, it it's just, it is kind of, it is kind of terrible that, you know, James Harden, as, as gifted as he is offensively, I'm not going to take that away from him. I'm not, because he's really, really, really good, especially when he's going to the basket, because he has this pace about him. He's not going fast. He's just going at a pace that he dictates, and when he goes up to the goes up and to the basket, he gets the benefit of the doubt every time, because he uses his body so well that he's able to draw that contact no matter what. And now he's just learned to sell it. And I, the, I really like the the NBA needs to look at this because I know that in the game time and there's three refs on the court, it does make it hard to call those. Uh, things accurately and sometimes you know they do a pretty good job of making sure okay i mean there was even plenty of times game three and four where james harden went up sold the foul and they didn't call it i'm not saying that they didn't um but it's just it's just ridiculous that it's so bad i mean so one team is able to literally throw another player to the ground and nothing happens whereas the jazz do everything they can to try and draw a foul and they don't get that benefit of the doubt it's just ridiculous um but yeah, besides that, there's no reason that the Jazz um, don't learn from this experience because when they when they dictate who they are on offense and they execute, they succeed. They have proven that through this latter half of the year and even throughout the playoffs. But to see them go to this this isolation heavy offense, it just doesn't work for us because even if you get Rudy alone down low, he sucks in the post. He really does. He doesn't have any post moves. He got blocked by Capella at least three times tonight. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't have that kind of power. He doesn't have like a hook shot. I mean, you name it. He doesn't have 
the skills necessary. And Clint Capella just literally eats his lunch. He was eating his lunch all day long. He was eating the entire team's lunch all all game long tonight. We took him out of his element a little bit, but like you said, James Harden, I don't know, like he's so good at drawing that defender, Rudy specifically, to where very last second he could either get that layup or just lob it up to Clint Capella and he's and it's in the basket before you even blink. Yeah, and I think that'll be something that teams will definitely need to work on if they want to try and stop the Rockets. You know, obviously, if if you're the Jazz, I'd watch this uh, likely up-and-coming uh, Warriors-Rockets series. See how they defend uh, Harden. Because um, uh, they don't have a rim protector, and I don't know, maybe it'll just be better one-on-one defense or just, you know, watch that film. Because if the Warriors end up winning, which I would actually say they might, or uh, probably will. Um, you can see how do teams either neutralize or just, you know, slow down James Harden, maybe even stop him. Um, He's going up against against uh, Clay Thompson, who is an incredible individual uh, defender. I yeah. don't think Clay Thompson gets enough recognition for the defense he plays. He doesn't get enough recognition at all. He's basically the fourth most popular player in his own team, and he's arguably. Well, I'd say he's the third best. Um, maybe, yeah, probably. It's between him and Draymond for third best. But yeah. he'd be the best player on a lot of NBA teams. Uh, so I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, so, again, just moving on, I think, you know, you, you hit it on the head again with the with Rudy Gobert on offense, and those are just some of the simple things because Rudy Gobert does have a long way to go on offense in terms of being able to put the ball in the basket by himself. Does he need to be Hakeem Olajuwon out there? Obviously no. But he needs to be able to put in, you know, when he, he's averaging, say, let's say next season he might average 15 points, go up a little bit from like 13 or 14 this season. You'd hope that like maybe six of those, like have him watch Steven Adams. Steven Adams, I don't know how many points he averages, probably similar to Gobert. But he's got a shot, a little kind of dinky hook shot floater thing that he puts up, and it goes in a lot of time. I imagine that, you know, obviously I haven't watched a lot of Steven Adams' film, but in that series when I was watching him, he probably made that shot 60 to 70% of the time. It's, yep. a, little, it's a little five-foot, maybe seven-foot hook shot at most, and it goes in. And just that tiny little move that, you know, when you get matched up on somebody, maybe even somebody like Clint Capella, but especially, say, if you're matched up against, I don't know, a P.J. Tucker or anybody that's, like, under 6'10", then you can, at worst, put up that shot. It's a decent shot. It's the kind of shot that you'll make 60 to 70% of the time, and that'll be fine because, you know what, sometimes you miss it. Whatever. It happens. But he needs to be able to put up points on his own, and obviously there are, little things that the Jazz will be able to get better at. Donovan Mitchell is going to get better. Because, you know, right now, he does well, really well in isolation, but he has been pretty inefficient in this series. But he's a rookie. And that's something that he'll be able to improve on. And while obviously, as the Jazz, we want to continue to do that team basketball, that ball movement, there will be times where isolation ball is necessary. And as Donovan Mitchell gets better at that, we'll be able to turn to him more and more late game. Um, and the Jazz will get better. But again, with this series, you have to know that you can't rely on Donovan Mitchell so much because while he was great for a rookie, he's going up against like a 12-year veteran in Chris Paul and an 8-year veteran in James Harden, both of whom 
are arguably better scorers. Maybe not Paul so much, but arguably as good, if not better, scorers than Mitchell, um, and and far more yeah. efficient. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, Donovan Mitchell has gotten a rude awakening with this series because Mike D'Antoni has put every bit of defensive focus on Donovan Mitchell because he knows that if he takes Donovan Mitchell out of the game, if not make him work for every single point, the rest of the guys have to pick up that slack. And Joe Ingles did a great job in game two, um, but he hasn't been... I mean, Joe Ingles has got some pretty good numbers in game three and four. Um, I'm not going to take that away from him, but he put so much pressure on everybody else. And then, like, the, the shot selection going forward has just been atrocious. I mean, Jay Crowder fell back in love with the three-pointer. Uh, I could go down the list here. Um, the Houston Rockets are good defensively. I'm not going to take that away from them, but the Jazz are just as good offensively in terms of execution. It's just ridiculous to me that we go off this motto of the strength of our team is our team, and I see the team standing around just waiting for something to happen or a kickout to come through when the defense will collapse on the other end and take away any semblance of a shot. And when Rudy Gobert doesn't have this post play that he should have, he's 7'1 and has a wingspan of nearly 8 feet. I mean, there is no reason why Rudy Gobert cannot develop some kind of hook shot or something. His arms are longer than everybody else on the court. He should be a better defense or a better um, inside presence than he is. The only reason that he gets open on the on the uh, down low is when we get him an open shot from some pick and roll situation where the center has to come up and guard the um, play defense on our guards, and that's the only time Rudy has had any kind of success. It's 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 ridiculous. Rudy needs to develop at some kind of post game going forward, or this team is in trouble. Yeah, I think that is definitely something. And, and I think one thing that we've overlooked a little bit and I think has had a huge impact, and I think maybe you brought it up a little earlier, but Ricky Rubio, um, him not being in oh, this series. Oh, you missed that guy. Yeah, I, I, I think you, you did touch on it a little bit earlier with you know him initiating ball movement. And also just as an offensive presence, he can put the ball in the basket some. He can get us maybe 15 points. Uh, and on a good night, maybe 20 points, be very efficient in doing so. Again, he's not going to be, you know, killing it on offense for us, but he was a big part of that Oklahoma City series, and we managed to win the one game essentially without him where he played like the seven minutes. But, I mean, you mentioned when uh, Mike D'Antoni's putting all the pressure on Donovan Mitchell. I think during the series, maybe or during the season, perhaps we underestimated how much um, Ricky Rubio was able to alleviate some of that because there'd be games where yeah Donovan Mitchell maybe he'd have you know fewer points maybe he'd be be a little off in terms of efficiency but then Ricky Rubio would be able to initiate offense initiate ball movement get things moving manipulate the defense because that was something he was good at is that he can manipulate the defense change things around get an open shot for Joe Ingles Jay Crowder Royce O'Neal whoever yeah get somebody he's so open. intelligent and I think for you mentioned the Houston Rockets defense being certainly above average, and we can be in a the Jazz can be an above average offense, but without Ricky Rubio, where we have a rookie point guard, a rookie shooting guard, 
and then Joe Ingles. In, in, in this game, we had Jay Crowder starting at the four because of kind of the the injury to Derek Favors, which again another big thing where he's only playing 16 minutes. Um, he, he he was plus 14 in 16 minutes. So uh, looking to that, how much you want in, in in a game where we lost by 13. So I think that's certainly huge, and I think we're going to talk a lot more about Derek Favors in upcoming episodes uh, as the off season will likely commence. Um, uh, so I don't know, just just so much, and then Dante Exum getting uh, hurt a little bit in this game, uh, obviously being limited. We you know we saw his great play on. James Harden defensively. He was so good on Harden. He was so yeah. good on Harden. <laughs> I mean, game two all the way up to the point he went out. I honestly think that if Exum hadn't have gone out with an injury, we could have pulled this game out because nobody could stay with Dante. Nobody. His first step is insane. I've ne- <laughs> like We talk about Donovan being quick with his first step, but man. Dante is so explosive. You cannot stay with that first step. You can't. You got to the basket so many times. And then he goes out and it's like, oh, okay. That's like, honestly, that when Dante went out, that was when I was like, okay, that's it. Season's over. Like, we don't have anybody to stay with Harden anymore. Neto did an admirable job. He did. Um, but nobody put the clips on him like Dante did. Nobody. Yeah, and I th- I think you know when you watch the Oklahoma City series, you thought, oh geez, Dante Exum just lost himself a lot of money. Um, he's not going to get a very good contract because he had a, a decent run at the end of the season and did very poorly, especially on offense. He did pretty well defensively. Um, but yeah, this series, you said it, awesome defensively. Um, showed some flashes on offense, especially in, in this game. And he he is arguably arguably the quickest player in the league, and he's six foot six. Um, yeah, can, it's he, stupid how fast he can move. Yeah, he he can, and it's it's forward backward, or I don't know, you know forward and then laterally, which is huge because you'd you'd see him go up against Harden. Harden's used to be able to like get that first step, get past somebody, do his little wiggle and dance and whatever, and he'd try it over and over, these little things in and out, and Exum just bounce back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, just right, like yeah, just right there. And it frustrated the crap out of Harden. And you saw that, obviously, in Game 2, where that was really the only game where, one, it seemed like the officials were pretty fair. And second, it was you know the one game where he managed to actually get two James Harden and Chris Paul in their head. The other games, the Jazz didn't, and they lost. Um, so, again, this, this series has very much renewed my faith in Dante Exum. Um, again, it's just one of these days he's going to have a full season and we'll get a chance to see how much of this potential is real and how much we can actually get out of Dante Exum because, you know, maybe, again, in two or three years, if, um, you know, Ricky Rubio either leaves or maybe gets relegated to a bench role with the Jazz and Dante Exum is able to step up, be a starting point guard, maybe shooting guard, I don't know how the – uh, Dante and Donovan lineup would work, but that would be an insane backcourt. And, and again, we got a bit of a flash of it with Dante Exum showing off some crazy defensive skills and a few flashes of offense. 
Yeah, I mean, we've we, that's a, that's the key point though. We've got flashes, and I I still believe that there is a lot of potential in Dante Exum, um, but I still feel like at this point it's kind of a wet dream in a way um, because Dante Exum is quick. He's not a good decision maker. He's not a good playmaker. He's great defensively, and he's a great role player. I would love to see, um, yeah, like you said, given a, given an entire season to actually play which unfortunately we have not been able to see and i i do feel for him i really do because it's just like you you could tell that he wants to break out and he's had attitude he's he's gone chest to chest with harden he said some words with him he's bumped him just walking back to the bench um so there's something there um and i I don't want to say he's injury prone because really in all reality, his injuries have just been freak accidents more or less. Um, but I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the off season. I hate to think about it right now, but I mean, that's like I said, Dante Exum going out. That, that was what really sealed the series. We may, we may steal a game in, in the next game, but I mean, we got our backs against the walls. We have to win in Houston. Otherwise, I mean, it's over. Um, and I would just love to see this team stay together um, in all reality because there's a bunch of camaraderie. They all love each other. They love hanging out with each other. They love playing with each other. I'd love to see this team gel for the next two years and see what happens. But um, i got to be real here. I'd, I'd really – like this This season is done. It, Rockets are up three one. It's a collision course for the Warriors and the and the Rockets. Yeah, and and that is obviously the feeling. That's the feeling we've had in this podcast, and I think that's how just about every Jazz fan would feel is that the ride is over. You know, it was it was awesome while it lasted, and that's the thing you you mentioned the team coming together. I think the team and the community, the Jazz Nation as a whole, um, so uplifted by this season, just absolutely. Uh, literally lifting a franchise up, up off of its butt after a you know a very frustrating off season, a very frustrating early part of the season, like the first half of the season, and then just suddenly out of the blue, a little playoff run. And you know I, I agree. I'd love to see this team. Most of these guys are on contract for next year. Really, the two main guys who aren't Dante Exum, a restricted free agent, and then. Uh, Derek Favors, unrestricted. He can he can walk if he wants. Jazz can try and keep him. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I think that there are positives to take away from this series. Talk about Dante Exum. Uh, some flashes. Obviously, Do- Donovan Mitchell's been pretty good. Did I say Dante Mitchell? Um, I think you said Dante, and then you said the points, and then you went Mitchell. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's late at night right now, so I'm I'm kind of I might be losing it, but you know, but I I think we've gone over it. There's there's so many different things. Obviously, we can improve. Which again, like I said earlier, is as much encouraging as it is discouraging that these flaws exist. We know that we can work on them. Uh, the Jazz can work on them to, you know, move forward. There's so much room for this team to grow, and. It, there seems to be plenty of time to do it because several of these guys are on contract for multiple years and the Jazz can get things going. And again, next year, 
We'll see about a playoff run in two or three years. Maybe looking at a conference finals and, you know, maybe even, <laughs> it'd be a nice, it's a nice dream, but maybe even a, an NBA finals run. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, this season has been, been, and to go back to it a little bit, I mean, this community, like Salt Lake and Utah as a whole, this, no, there hasn't been a team that the state of Utah, even Salt Lake City, has cared this much about since the 97 or the 96, 97, and the 97, 98 jazz teams. It, it, bar none. Nobody, I mean, Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer, it was, there was still a following, don't get me wrong, but nobody has cared about this team this much since the final seasons of John Stockton and Carl Malone. Yeah, and, and on uh, Friday, I believe it was, you know, game three, uh, went to a camp out. It was, it was a father's and son's outing, and we go, and there's all these activities and whatnot, and we do our stuff, and and then the jazz game comes on. We're trying to figure out how to, you know, get our uh, connection going so we can watch game three. And obviously it didn't go very well, but it was like, you know, it was this, like, yeah, of course we're going to try and find a way to watch it. Yeah, we're out camping and our, our wives and whatnot think we're uh, <laughs> out roughing it in the wilderness, but, heck, we're watching the jazz game because, you know, most of these guys are jazz fans. We all live in Utah, so that's just how much I feel like that was kind of an embodiment of, yeah, if this were two or three years ago, you know, you know maybe the middle of the season, be like, heck no, we're not watching a jazz game. We're going to actually enjoy ourselves. Right. And again, it's just so so much that this team has done for the community and built up everything and you know, there there's there's a bright future ahead despite obviously the the disappointments and even though we all saw this coming um or assumed that it would happen, you know. It, yeah, it's, well, it still hurts. It, it, as, as a fan, it's just hard to not like think about that. It's just you're riding such a high. You're just like, oh yeah, this, I love this team. They're doing great. And then I'm always that guy. At, like when I go to like watching parties or something, and I'm like too real. Um, like uh, you know, what was it? Game five of the Clippers series or game six? I don't remember. And like everybody was cheering them on. Like yeah, we're gonna come back or we're gonna win this game. I'm like no, no, we're not. Like. Sorry guys, it's just not happening. Like we're going to lose this game. Like everyone's shut up. Like guys, seriously, we're gonna lose. And sure enough, we lost. And everyone's like, I'm sorry, we didn't get mad at you. You're just being real. I'm like, just look at it. What's happening, man? Like that. You know, there's too many times when you watch a jazz or not just a jazz game, but a basketball game. I mean, every fan goes through this. I mean, look at the Toronto Raptors, number one seed in the East. And they're three. They're down 3-0 to the Cavaliers. And the Cavaliers have probably had their worst team in many years, but LeBron is just too good. I mean, everybody goes through this, where you just ride this high, and then there's this harsh reality of, oh, crap, we're, we're not going to win. Yeah, and obviously, there we all, <laughs> I guess, in the back of our minds, we all thought that was going to happen with the Jazz, like, you know, every time the Jazz made the playoffs the last however many years, it's like, yeah, they're good. They've done well to get this far. But we all know they're not good enough. 
And yeah, it is just the gross. It's, it's it's the next step. I mean, at this point, at this point, going into next season, the Jazz are expected to make the playoffs. They've set the bar for themselves. They've set the bar for at least the second round next year. Like it's second round or bust at this point. That is the expectation moving forward for not just us, the fans, but the coaches and uh, the players. They they're gonna want to get back to this point. They want to improve upon it. That's that is it. If you guys don't make the playoffs and you don't get to the first round, that's a failure. Yeah, and it'll be. And I think I touched on this in the last uh, episode. Is that it'll be interesting to see how these players react to that pressure because they were playing with house money in these playoffs. They won't next year because, like you said, the bar is a first round playoff victory. That's the yep. bar. I mean, mm-hmm. and so. We'll see how they react to that. Donovan Mitchell especially, but also other leaders like Rudy Gobert because uh, he, he didn't do very well in this series. Not at all. Um, and you know he, he was very impactful in the Oklahoma City series, but there were times where he didn't feel like the completely dominant regular season Rudy Gobert, um, though he was obviously integral in that Oklahoma City win. But there right, but he's still got his statistics, though. This game, yeah. he's just been – this series, he's been completely out of it. I think it was game three. I was just watching him, and I'm like, where is your head, Rudy? Like, seriously, though. I mean, you had to have seen this. There's, like, so many boneheaded plays or just times where he didn't really seem to care. I mean, how many times does Chris Paul need to hit a, a jumper from the nail – and you don't go and contest that shot when Capella is still up at the three-point line because he went up to give you a screen. Like, I'd, I'm I'm really disappointed in Rudy in this series. Really disappointed. Yeah, that that is one thing that you need that some people are beginning to point out is that he will not leave the paint if you don't make him leave the paint. And even then, he'll be guarding like Kristaps Porzingis, and Kristaps will have five feet to shoot a three-point shot. Which is really frustrating. It's what I used to see out of Ennis Cantor. Remember watching him guard Zach Randolph, and Zach Randolph would have the ball, you know, mid-range, twenty-foot or whatnot. I'd be screaming in my television, "Get out on him! He's going to shoot it and make it!" And then he would shoot it and make it because you know he was wide open from mid-range. This is back when Zach Randolph was good. <laughs> so, you know, I guess before he got old, really. That's the main reason he's not as good anymore. Yeah, I it just like Rudy relies way too much on the defense funneling whoever it is to the paint. He relies on it way too much. And I mean, given when he goes out and tries to guard Steph Curry, we saw that last year in the playoffs. He just went through the blender. I mean, he can't stay with people out beyond the paint. It's just not his. It's just not what he can do. Um, but I also think like I. I, I I hate to say this, but I mean, I really don't think that Rudy, I mean, I watched Clint Capella and how good he is, like how versatile he is and going out into the three point line, running people off of that three point line and then recovering all the way back to the basket and staying with his guys. Whereas Rudy, he really struggles with that. He really struggles with that. And I I really think that it's just like he expects to block every shot or shuts people down. He expects it. It's not something that he works for anymore. 
Um, I, I know that's probably blasphemous to people that are listening right now, but it's just it is true. I mean, Rudy, it relies on stability in the paint. He relies on that player coming to him, being forced to him, and then he can make the play from there. It's good, but Rudy just, I mean, wow, we've seen we've seen his weaknesses in this series, and it's glaring. Yeah, and I think that'll definitely be a coaching point. Is there are times where he'll need to make some more hustle defensive plays because right now he's making the the rim protector defensive plays and he's the best in the league at it. Uh, that's been very well documented um, based on his impact, his defensive numbers, whatnot. But like you said, there's getting out on the three-point line, running some guys off. You know, he doesn't have to be able to stay with Steph Curry on the perimeter. Um, we'll probably continue to see him getting uh, – you know, getting crossed over by just about any point guard in the league because basically any point guard in the league is like three times as quick as Rudy Gobert. <coughs> Excuse me. I about died there, swallowing Don't my do spit. That. Don't do that. <laughs> it's it's the series, guys. Uh, <laughs> oh. It's, it's, it's just that depressing. Um. <laughs> we need to start a GoFundMe for you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but... Uh, it's those, those again, those kind of hustle things where you get out, force him to make a play, recover. You know, obviously, I think he's accepted that. You know, you're not going to stop every stop him every time on defense. He's kind of accepted that at the rim, but I think he needs to realize that there are players who, it, you know, he wants to. He's kind of under that mentality, and I have this sometimes too when I'm playing defense and like pickup basketball is like, okay, that's a mid range shot. If I try and go up on him, he's going to beat me to the rim, so I'm just going to let him take a mid-range shot. And I think Rudy Gobert kind of has this in his mind that I'd rather let Chris Paul take a mid-range jumper than a layup, but sometimes you do need to go out there and contest it because sometimes that'll disrupt the offense enough that he has to move the ball out and there's not even a shot generated. For sure. I mean, when people go into the paint and like drive and then they see the wall that is Rudy Gobert, they back off. Um, but... I mean, I've been watching Chris Paul long enough to know that when he gets to that, when he gets to the nail or the elbow extended, it's money. It's it. That's his shot. That is his spot. You got to take that away from him. I don't care if you left Clint Capella alone in the paint. If you go after that shot and at least get a finger on it, guess what? Chances are, it's most likely going to end up in your hands. Yeah. So that that's again the, all, all these little things that the Jazz definitely need to improve on. Every player, go down the list. Jay Crowder, got to stop chucking up those bad shots. Holy cow. Oh, seriously. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah. Royce O'Neal, I don't know, just get better generally on offense. Joe Ingles, I don't know, not too much more he's going to improve in his career. Rudy Gobert, we've gone over that. And, again, just going down the list, and we'll probably go over these a lot more in the offseason, but every player is going to have something they're going to get better at or can get better at. In just little things that would make this team that much better. So, um, but I think we're starting to repeat ourselves now. So, <laughs> it's just a bunch of angst right now. I mean, we all knew you mentioned it. We've talked about it even episodes prior where this series is, I mean, we never thought that the Jazz would win this series. Game two gave us a little bit of hope. It was that culmination of the season, and we got to see one of the best putback dunks ever in game two. But, I mean, 
it, it is what it is. Um, and yeah, I mean, as long as the Jazz improve upon some things and some players bust out some new tricks, I think the Jazz will be just fine. I mean, we even talked about it before, and I say it, I still say it confidently. I, I think the Jazz will be a force for the next two to three years, especially going into the into the playoffs. Yeah. And to kind of end on a positive note, I do want to go back to that putback dunk. I will say that I was I was watching that game live. I was actually at at work, um, and we had the game on. And when I saw that, I have not you know yelled, you know, oh that loud in years. It was oh dude, I almost I was standing still. I was standing up still, and I almost fell. Like my mouth was agape. I just was like, did that really just happen? Yeah, and and, and I was sitting down, and I like I was in a little rolling office chair, and I almost threw myself out of that chair and stood up, and just like, holy cow, that was. I think that made the whole season worth it just to see that. Um, and I've now seen that play probably close to 50 times. And yep. <laughs> it's not going to get old. Heck, I'm probably going to go watch it after we finish recording this just because it was that good. Um, yeah. So, that was insane. It was filthy. It was. But anyway, that's that's about going to do it. Uh, just like with the Jazz season, this game, this last game just about did it. Um, and I guess we don't have as much hope as that 176ers fan at the end of the game where he uh, – was holding up that sign. It's not over, even though we're down three zero. Um, but that's that's the beauty of that's the beauty of fandom, though, man. You never you never give up on your team. I'm yeah. never gonna give up on the Jazz. I've been raised on them. I I bleed Utah Jazz. Um, that's just the way it is. But it always, I mean, <laughs> sports. You, you you're always down for disappointment. It it happens. As long as the Jazz go down with glory, I'm cool with that. Just not a blowout loss. Maybe yeah, not a blowout game. loss. I would love. Oh, I would. I would love to see. Just. I would love to see Chris Paul get injured. Is, <laughs> is that is that is that a little too dark? <laughs> it is, but I'm going to give you a pass on it because, um, you know, just I may or may not be thinking the same thing. Um, but of course, we wouldn't wish serious injury on him. Just you know, tweak the ankle. Yeah, just a, just a little ankle sprain, and then you can really cry because it's <laughs> anyways. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, so again, thank you everyone so much for listening. I don't know if that sentence made grammatical sense. Um, again, this will probably be our last podcast of during the active season for the Utah Jazz. As next time we'll probably be doing our season review, which may or may not be split into two parts. I don't know. We'll talk more about what's going on over the summer with our podcasting schedule because it will change slightly. But it's been awesome. We're, I think we're on podcast number 18 right now. So I feel like it's been longer than that. Yeah, it feels like it. But, I mean, think about it, 18, that's... 18 weeks. Yeah, roughly we might have skipped one or two, so we're probably rocking right around 20 weeks, which is five no four months four or five months just about the entire season essentially i don't even remember when we started i think it was like late december oh okay yeah i think wow and then next year we're gonna be here every week 
every week for an even better season. So we we can all, <laughs> yeah. we can all look forward to that. And um, obviously, we've got one more jazz game, a minimum of one more uh, jazz game this season. Hopefully, a couple more, uh, just so we can get some more Donovan Mitchell. Maybe get another nice dunk or two out of him. Um, but anyway, we will talk to you guys next week. Um, again, thank you so much for listening.